0: Welcome to the Modern Merrow Men podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merrow Men is a podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian laypeople will rightly divide the word of truth. Tom, here we are back together. And last, hey, brother. Hey, last episode we shared a little bit more about ourselves and, and our testimonies and who we are but we never really explained why we're calling ourselves the modern men and what, what in the world that that means. So uh, for our time today, I thought it would be helpful just to look briefly at, at the history of uh, what, what was known as the, the marrow Controversy and why we see it as irrelevant and important and, and why ultimately we've called ourselves the, the modern men. So uh, why, why don't why don't you start by sharing a little bit about uh, the, the book that, that that started the whole controversy?
1: Yeah, well, uh, the book that started the marrow start controversy is "The Marrow of Modern Divinity," and it was published uh, by someone who called himself E.F. All he published was his initials, so it was a it was a really an uh, anonymous publication because he knew that what he was publishing could be controversial. But scholars, most scholars are in agreement now that that's Edward Fisher. Mm. Uh, so Edward Fisher is likely the, the author, but we don't know for certain. And uh, what the Mirror of Modern Divinity is, is it's a it's a series of dialogues. The whole book is just a uh, conversation among four participants. Uh, one participant is Neophytus, who's a young Christian who is still learning the basics of the Christian faith, still need to be taught uh, in Orthodox biblical christianity particularly how to think as a christian and then evangelista is a faithful pastor and so evangelista is the guide he's the one who's really pointing the way to an accurate understanding of the bible and how to how to live and uh, walk with the lord jesus and then a third uh, participant in this conversation is Nomista, and you can hear the word law in there namas Uh, Nomista is a legalist. This is the Neo Nomian, the one who has a a false understanding of the gospel and of how to live as a Christian. So that's that's an error on one side. Uh, But then a fourth participant in these dialogues is antinomista. And that's the antinomian, which is, of course, the error on the other side. And so the whole book is a conversation among these four. Uh, in which we learn by the end of it how to avoid the errors of legalism and antinomianism, how to walk faithfully as a Christian. Um, this book was—it has two parts to it, and it was actually published in two parts. The first part of the book, which is uh, the the heart of it, the theology of it, is dealing with the law and the gospel. And mm-hmm. So, this first part, dealing with the law and the gospel, was published in 1645. Uh, the second part. Is an exposition of the Ten Commandments. And that was published a couple of years later in 1648. And the, the main issue addressed in this book is how God's grace is the fuel of faith and all of the Christian life. Another way of putting it is a marrow of modern divinity, insisted that Christians must live upon the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Mm. And so it's very centered on an understanding that Christ has accomplished all in history to satisfy God's justice, and that nothing we do as Christians should be legally motivated. That everything we do, from our faith uh, to our repentance, to all of our obedience to the to the good law of God, should be motivated by the gospel, should be gospel-motivated obedience. Amen. Uh, so true faith, love, joy, keeping God's commandments all depend on. Christ perfectly satisfying the justice of God in her place. And, and a faithful Christian walk never loses sight of this and faith faithful pastors never teach in a way that that could be misunderstood. Um, so, and so, that's this, the book.
0: That's, yeah, this uh, book, you know, was from my understanding uh, originally published in England, right. And yes. uh, was relatively popular. Um, but in, in a sense, over time was Largely fading into obscurity, uh, and and the controversy really didn't take place in England at all, right? It,
1: yeah, that's right. It took
0: place uh, a number of years later in Scotland mm-hmm. uh, with the, with the Scottish Presbyterians, and and so here you have these these two parts or these two books originally that were published, uh, and and uh, again a number of people appreciated them or, or enjoyed them. Uh, but it, but it, we we've heard of it because of what happened in Scotland. So how, how do we right. transition from uh, England then to to Scotland, where where this kind of develops into the controversy we know it as now?
1: Well, uh, Thomas Boston, you can start here probably with the with Thomas Boston and his discovery of the book. Uh, he had been Thomas Boston was a a new pastor and was wrestling with these very questions of the relationship between the law and the gospel and how to think and preach as a Christian, a distinctively Christian pastor. And at at around 1700, uh, Thomas Boston discovered this book, The Marrow of Modern Divinity, when he was making a pastoral visit. So he came and he was visiting, as he typically did, in one of the homes of his parishioners, and he saw sitting on the windowsill uh, the Marrow of Modern Divinity. And he picked it up and he he read it and he he loved it and he found that this book answered many of the difficult questions he hadn't resolved yet about law and gospel uh, and so after thomas boston had discovered this book he began to imbibe its theology because he found it taught in the scriptures and his preaching and his whole ministry started to take on a new christ-centered gospel-saturated emphasis Mm-hmm. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson talks about it as a as a gracious tincture that there is a new flavor of his preaching, which wasn't harsh or or, or even intellectual or callous. Uh, it, it was it was a gracious, joy-filled, loving mode of preaching uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as a result of this. And so Thomas Boston got a hold of it and uh, and then the controversy took off from there. Do you want to continue and talk about it or do you want me to?
0: Well, of course, uh, Thomas Boston, having appreciated, this, this book so much, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, he starts uh, talking about it with others there in, in the Presbytery and uh, you, you have others who start to um, also appreciate it and, and uh, start to uh, preach and teach in light of the truths uh, that are taught. Uh, But from, from my understanding, you, you come to the point where there's the controversy over a, a creed, Yes. Was to be said over um, in order to minister there in the church. Uh, And and so the creed uh, was to say, I believe that it is not sound and orthodox to teach that we forsake sin in order to our coming to Christ. Right. So that's the statement. Right. I'll say it again. I believe that it is not sound and orthodox to teach that we forsake sin in order to our coming to Christ.
1: Right, and that, that was uh, at the Ochterarder at the Presbytery at, in 1717. William Craig was asked to affirm that statement, mm-hmm. and, and he wrestled with it, but in the end he did. And later, uh, they the, the, after the presbytery deliberated on whether to acknowledge him and, and uh, ordain him, instead they nullified his license because he affirmed it. Hmm. He affirmed that statement. It is not sound and orthodox to teach that we forsake sin in order to our coming to Christ. you could say it's maybe poorly worded. Right. In fact, I think he did. Uh, William Craig Craig said he thought he would word it better. Uh, What do you think?
0: No. Well, I I mean, I'm not going to get in the specific wording of it and, and and I could see why people might wrestle over it, but, but what we see happening then uh, is a growing number of those in the, the presbytery. Uh, who were, became uncomfortable with this idea that we come to Christ without this forsaking of sin, without this, you know, uh, this, this preparation or repentance or, or you know, what whatever they they saw as as necessary uh, for one to truly come to Christ? And so, you, you know, you have a, a move away from the freeness of the gospel. Mm-hmm in, among the Scottish Presbyterians and a right. controversy that erupts where uh, this book then is banned, right? Yeah. Uh, they can no longer read, publish, teach in accordance with. Uh, so you have the Presbytery essentially turning against mm-hmm. uh, the mayor of modern divinity and those who were uh, upholding and seeing its value.
1: Yeah. And and the heart of the issue is just what you said. It's in in a way the way to put it is, do you have to clean up before you take a bath, mm. you know? So should, should you purify yourself first before you receive Christ? Mm. And the question is one of preparationism and whether or not first we repent and then we can get Jesus after we repent of our sins. And of course that's false. No, you must come to Christ sins and all. And then he washes you. He cleans you. Yeah. Uh, and this is what they, this is what the, uh, the presbytery, the Scottish presbyterians were pushing back against. And they even said that the marrow theology was unsound and detestable doctrine. That's how strongly they condemned it. Uh, So,
0: and yeah. And and so you wind up with this divide then right between kind of the presbytery who's coming out against this understanding uh, and then these uh, marrow men uh, like Thomas Boston and the, the, uh, the, is it the Erskines? how you pronounce? Uh, yeah, Erskine.
1: The, the, I would say Erskine. I think Erskine. Erskine
0: I think so. Uh, you know, but, but several of these men who uh, come out and, and support this and want to continue with this uh, approach, but they're, they're accused of um, denying, uh, you know, holding to say universal atonement, Uh, some of these other ideas uh, because of either, frankly, maybe some sloppiness in the original uh, book, you know? Sure.
1: Uh, I mean, it was a, it's a, it wasn't made to be a theological treatise in a real sharp, like sharp angular type of a fashion. It's a conversation. And so, yes, you could, I think it's accurate to say that it wasn't as clear as it could have been. It's also, it was misunderstood. People read things into it that it wasn't intended to say.
0: Right, so, and often in the heat of controversy, look what happens, right? We're not right. careful to think the best of one another or try to really understand what's going on, but we kind of fracture into parties, and then things heat up, and and so you you have a lot of that going on uh, there, and um, so so uh, what what winds up then uh, happening in Scotland through this controversy uh, as it you know kind of continues and you have this division between the, the Presbytery and the um you know, the, these marrow men who are seeking to uphold the freeness of the gospel.
1: Well, I mean, there's, there's a, a back and forth. There's a battle between these two factions. You had the neonomians or the, those drifting into legalism. And then you had those holding to the the centrality of the gospel, which are what's interesting.
0: Antinomianism, right? They're, that, they're,
1: that's correct. They're, they're being accused of antinomianism. What's, and, you know, and what's interesting is all of the all of the players here affirmed, at least on paper, they all affirmed the Westminster standards. So hmm. this wasn't a debate between confessions. It wasn't about formal theology. This was really more about the spirit of the theology. Hmm. It was much more about uh, the way in which uh, Christ saved sinners in terms of his heart for them. Now, there were certainly doctrinal issues, but it, this was not a formal theology question. It was much more of a practical uh, theology question among them. So I think that's a fascinating point So that they all affirmed, at least on paper, the Westminster Standards, but they disagreed on this. Another thing that was interesting that was happening was that uh, the Scottish Presbyterians, the powers that be in the church, they, they were very soft on people who were drifting from formal matters of orthodoxy. They allowed a lot of latitude for those who had kind of started to drift away into things even like Arianism or making statements that started to sound Arian yeah. and drifting into ne- Neonomian, kind of Richard Baxter's sort of error. Um, and they were soft on that, but these Merrow men, they just pounded them. And uh, this is one of the things Thomas Boston pointed out is their inconsistency, that their heart seemed to be more with uh, more serious errors. And what they what they were really opposing was this marrow theology. And this is they they reacted with great angst and vitriol against it so much that they they said that not only condemn the book, uh, The Marrow of Modern Divinity, but they said it, it cannot be promoted or taught or in. Or even referenced, I believe, in a positive way by any of the ministers of the of uh, the Scottish Presbyterian Church.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, do uh, what w- w- was there a coming resolution? I mean, what w- what happens then in Scottish Presbyterianism uh, once these uh, things are highlighted? Do we, do we have uh, the modern Merriman winning? Do we have the them being kicked out of the church? Are you familiar with?
1: Well, I think it. Uh, I mean, oops. it died down. It remained a tension. Yeah. But as far as I know, even that original prohibition against Marrow theology it was never lifted. That was never lifted. It remained, uh, but it, the, the 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 heat of the controversy died down, and yet there remained a fracture within within the Scottish Presbyterian Church, or at least differences along these lines. But the Marrow theology certainly grew, uh, mm. and and uh, it, they did not succeed in squat and squelching the Marrow theology. Mm. Well,
0: so here here we are, two uh, American Reformed Baptists, uh, not only talking about a uh, Scottish Presbyterian historical controversy, uh, but calling ourselves the Modern Marrow Men. So so, yeah. why why do we care so much? Why are we spending so much time talking about this historically? You know what what's the significance? Uh, What what do you see as some of the most significant aspects of this controversy that that we need to learn from today?
1: Well, I I would maybe say several things, um, but they're all rooted in one one thing, which is that to correctly teach the Bible, to correctly teach it and to preach it, to understand it, you have to understand uh, the Bible's own covenantal structure. And you have to understand the law and the gospel, which are related to the covenants. And so, the, both the distinction between law and gospel, uh, and the the relationship or the continuum between law and gospel. And so, you know, I, I would break that down in and maybe four different ways, uh, beginning with a pastor's own heart. That some pastors they they treat themselves harshly. You know, they're they're really rough on their own souls, but what they need to do, what pastors need to learn to do, is to believe the love of Christ for them, which isn't just some nebulous Mm -hmm. idea of love, but that the love of Christ is that he died for their sins. Mm -hmm. He clothes them in his righteousness and uh, strengthens them so that they can live as pastors, even as weak men, imperfect men, who are ministering to others. And so this is where I think faithful ministry begins, is learning to deal with our own hearts before the Lord Jesus, in light of the law and the gospel. And then connected with that though, is pastoral preaching. That's the second thing is that sometimes um, really not just in reform circles, but even widely, there's a harsh legal emphasis, you know, Um, in wider evangelical circles, it's just sort of a soft moralism maybe. Uh, you know, you have a little you tack on Christ at the end or the gospel, you know, is preached at the very end in some minimal way. But the the heart of the message is some kind of a moralism, uh, which is which is, of course, wrong. Uh, and, and in our circles, in Reformed Baptist circles, we believe very strongly in the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God are the are the rule of conduct for believers. And, and it's possible that. Even some Reformed Baptist preachers could so emphasize the law of God that it comes off in a harsh legal way. Mm. Uh, but the Marrow teaches us that all of these commands, the exhortations in our preaching, uh, must be rooted in and flow from the mercies of Jesus and his imputed righteousness as the basis of worship and of repentance and of change and of growth in, in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, which issues in obedience to him. <clears throat> I would say this also relates to pastoral leadership. You know, pastors, that's a third thing, pastoral leadership. Uh, pastors are called to lead the church. And, you know, sometimes pastors might sort of have a spirit that's like, What well, I, I need to get those people in line. You know, or why can't those people just get it straight? You know, and there, there's this frustration with the slowness of people to come come along with faithful biblical teaching. Uh, but, but an understanding of the marrow theology or the law and the gospel teaches pastors to take up their own crosses and to die for the sheep in their congregations, to love others as they have been loved, mm-hmm. to forgive others as they have been forgiven and to patiently teach the flock with all humility and love, waiting on the Lord to work in the hearts of the people. And then a fourth thing, lastly, would be evangelism, that some people think of evangelism as calling out sin and calling for obedience. You know, it's just rebuking the sin of those wicked sinners and calling on them to turn from their sin and honor the Lord because he's their king. But true evangelism, though it certainly preaches a law uh it, it holds out Christ as a beautiful Savior, mm. crucified and risen from the dead, the hope of poor sinners, one who reconciles sinners to a to a glorious, holy God, and promises them life eternal. And that's the emphasis, the center of faithful evangelism is Jesus, law and gospel as they center us on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And so, I would say we need we need this. We the lessons that we could learn from this or at least those things
0: amen amen and really this whole podcast will be us seeking to explore these things and so i'm, I'm grateful for that uh, tom uh, before we go a couple of resources to mention for people of course you can today buy a copy of the marrow of modern divinity by edward fisher and uh, i personally really appreciate this uh, version that i'm holding in my hands here it's put out by christian focus uh, publications, but it's it's laid out well, and I appreciate that they include some of the note they include the notes that Thomas Boston later added to to help uh, just I- I explain and expand on some of the the precious truths that are that are found here. It's a wonderful resource and an often overlooked resource, I think, among many Christians today. And uh, another resource that, that Tom indirectly mentioned, but uh, Sinclair Ferguson's The Whole Christ. Uh, of course, a book that uh, summarizes this debate and this controversy, as well as why it matters. And if you're not a huge uh, book reader, I'm thrilled that Ligonier Ministries put out a you know series of videos with Sinclair Ferguson on the whole Christ as well uh, for people to uh, go over either individually or together. So a wonderful way to recognize the the relevance of this controversy and uh, to live a a Christ-centered life and have a gospel-saturated ministry. Uh, So I want to encourage you to check those out. But uh, thank you for listening to the Modern Marrowman podcast on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to know more about CBTS, please visit us online at cbtseminary.org. See you next time.